Sonic States. Welcome uh, to Sonic Talk number 53. Uh, we're recording today on the 25th of July, 26th of July. We go live, 2007. 53, if you're interested, uh, is written in hexadecimal as 35, which might interest Mark Tinley, who's my first guest to introduce. Hello. Cool. That's your kind of numerical thing, isn't it, Mark? Oh, I like that. 35 is not a great number, though. That's no, eight, isn't it? it doesn't go to nine, so it's not your favourite number. A few other 53s. The code for international direct dial, dial calls to Cuba is 53. As is the number on Herbie, the, the, the love bug. 53 and 3rd is a song by the Ramones, and 53 Miles West of Venus is also a song by the B-52s. Not the B-53s, which would have been really cool, but there you go. So I'm glad to welcome uh, back, uh, well, Mark Tinley, obviously, um, sound artist, programmer, and uh, man about town, or man about about to um, to see whether his river will flood, perhaps, because obviously in the UK we're having some terrible torrential weather. Me and Mark are the only um, UK contingent this week. Uh, Dave Spears, I just got a text this morning saying, I'm going down to the river to see if it, I've heard it's flooded. And his business partner is within the sort of evacuation zone, so they're all getting a bit hairy. And he said there's thousands of cars parked all in his streets because they're trying to move them up the hill just, just in case um, the river bursts its bank. So it's actually it's getting pretty serious. I know I moaned about my holiday, um, but this at least we didn't get flooded. I mean, that is really quite terrifying. We've also got, um, joining us again after, well, we haven't seen you for a while, is Richard Hilton from sunny Connecticut. Good morning, gentlemen. It's so nice to be back. Well, it's great to have you, Rich. Have you had a, a fruitful, restful summer, or are you still hard, hard at work? Um, well, a bit of both. The summer's been going great. The weather here has been outstanding. It's the first summer I've spent here in Connecticut uh, in a few years because Sheik has typically been touring Europe during the summers. So uh, it's really nice to see this area of the world at this time of the year. And uh, we've completed the new studio over at Niles, and it's really working out great. And oh, so excellent. it's uh, good fun to go to work these days. Well, um, I'm, I'm, I think you're probably especially glad you're not touring Europe at the moment, because I think transport might be a bit of fun. I, I've been talking to Richard Evans, who is a, an occasional guest on the podcast. He's touring with the Peter Gabriel band. He's been doing us a little kind of tour diary kind of thing. And Ooh. he's he's been touring for, well, most of the summer, and he just said almost every gig he's played, it's been raining. And his equipment has had so much rain in it, yet still managed to uh, to maintain its integrity. So he's uh, he's certainly road testing the uh, the European electronics compliance standards right there, cutting edge. Well, that's that's uh, scary stuff when you're playing in the rain for everybody involved. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'd love to know what kind of gear he's using because I love to hear stories of gear standing up to unusual circumstances. Well, he's got a Mackie control, I know for a fact. And um, he's using, I can't remember what else he's, he's, they're running, basically he's running the entire show as far as I understand, from Ableton Live on an 8-core Mac. Oh, oh cool. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah, it's, um, I was talking to him, he popped into the office on Monday before he jetted off somewhere else. Uh, I think the last gig is on Friday in, uh, at WOMAD, which I'm hoping is not going to be too waterlogged. But uh, we're putting together a little um, tour diary where he talks a bit about this in depth, so uh, I won't give too much away, but uh, look forward to that when it's, when it's available. So, and also we have PJ Tracy from uh, Minneapolis, who's a musician, studio owner, and um, general musical, technological kind of guy. How are you doing, PJ? I'm doing fantastic, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure. And uh, this week is, is probably our lowest number. Mark, I have introduced you, haven't I? 
I've no idea. <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, as, my, as, as my sort of soporific, monotone voice lulled you into a kind of, into the zone, and you're just not sure what's going on anymore. Well, here we all are, um, amidst terrible weather chaos, um, but somehow the, uh, the internet World Wide Web thingy is holding up, and we managed to communicate across the globe through the marvels of modern Skypeism. Uh, and this week, it seems to me that the sound quality has increased, improved. I know that um, previously Dave Spears um, has been getting kind of the, the, the raw deal when it comes to bandwidth and sounds like he's at about 11K. So I'm hoping everybody can hear everybody loud and clear this week. Obviously, it's been almost inescapable has been the uh, the march of the iPhone into our consciousness. I mean, uh, it's, it's a marvel of modern branding and pre-sales hype. And uh, obviously, now you can get them in the States and everybody's kind of commenting about them. All the podcasters are talking about it. Um, obviously, we don't get them in the UK, so I have nothing to say about it apart from, you know, they look desirable, but perhaps they don't work quite as they need to yet. They don't have uh, 3G, which is our sort of primary data network carrier in the in Europe anyway, so hopefully they're going to iron that out. But um, I was noticed on the Enquirer that um, there's a new phone, which is a Linux-driven phone, and it's uh, it's called a Neo, and it's made by FIC of Taiwan. Uh, there's basically two versions, a base model for 300 and an advanced version for 450. It's a kind of similar concept to the iPhone, apparently, with a sort of big multi-touch screen and kind of a Linux-based operating system. Um, and looks very nice, but it's currently only available to developers. They're, they're sort of selling it on the website, but it doesn't actually do anything yet. But it looked quite nice, and uh, I just thought, as a sort of a very minor antidote to the iPhone, it might be worth mentioning. I mean, I suppose this all this really is kind of illustrating is, you know, uh, people are, are really trying to get this kind of convergence of technology together. So, you know, basically we end up with uh, MP3 player, web browser, all the thing in the same kind of handheld unit. Does anybody feel... They would like to resist this uh, inevitable march of technology, or is it something they want to embrace? Well, it's uh, you know, speaking personally, it's a little difficult for me at the at the moment because the the screen real estate on these devices is so tiny; it makes it almost unusable for me as a web browser or a um, or a uh, text device, yeah, um, or watching video or anything like that. Um, but it's a it's a it's a great idea. No, I guess so. I mean, I suppose, would that be the case of any phone? I mean, because presumably, I, I know you're sort of partially sighted. Does that mean it's hard for you to use any kind of mobile device, or are there ones that uh, kind of work out okay? Well, uh, the phone that I have currently is a Nokia. Um, I don't use it for texting or for browsing the internet, but as a, as a phone, it works just fine, and, and the, the text size on the phone is, is perfect, as well as the backlighting. <clears throat> which makes it uh, ideal for me. Uh, but I've had the phone for, oh, going on three years now, so it's very outdated technology as far as those things go. Yeah, I mean, I suppose as a group of technologically sort of aware people, um, are we desirous of this kind of thing? Is it something that makes you want to have it? I mean, Rich, you must have seen one, presumably, being in the States. I mean, has anybody you know got an iPhone? I actually know people who have them, but I haven't actually held an iPhone the people I know who have them are in love, in absolute love with the thing. Um, and as I, I don't disagree with PJ, I've never wanted to uh, view the web through a tiny little screen. Or uh, I've always compared uh, it to looking at a construction site through the hole in the fence because you just can't see very much at any one time. Um, I understand that on the iPhone there are these marvelous navigation tools that allow you to zoom in on parts of a web page and... And the screen is considerably larger than the one on my current 
mobile phone, which is a Motorola, um, which I don't use to surf the web either. But but uh, the most intriguing thing about it to me is actually the larger screen size and the total operating system integration that you get with the Mac uh, address book and the calendar and everything. I, I mean, I already have Bluetooth connectivity in the Motorola and the Apple do uh, exchange data over Bluetooth in the address book, but this thing is quite elegant in the way it does interface with the Apple system. I'm sure the, that the next generations will be better and have more memory and such, um, but the idea that they've integrated their iPod product into a phone that is also uh, a useful, uh, basically, PDA and web browser is pretty interesting stuff. As it relates to this Linux device, when they say fairly vital bits missing, including an ability to send or receive text, proper Bluetooth integration, and an ability to set network preferences, I'd say they're pretty far away at the moment. Well, it's open. The idea oh, is it's yeah. open source, so you can kind of yeah. you can buy one, get stuck in, and help kind of make it the world a better place, uh, and pay for the privilege by the looks of things. But uh, I think. I don't know. It's not necessarily a bad thing that um, you know you can jump aboard and actually become part of the the way of shaping how these mobile devices will work. I mean, I'm kind of interested with the with the iPhone. I mean, the problem I have is I don't use uh, the Apple address book and I don't use Apple Mail. I don't use those things, so I don't know how useful it's going to be to me. And you know, you can't run things like Skype on it, whereas presumably something like this this uh, Neo. Um, you will be able to because it's open source. So they'll be able to port various applications over to it to run, which kind of might make it a lot more appealing to a sort of subset of uh, us kind of guys. You know, I mean, I'm a web administrator as well as all the other stuff that I do with Sonic. So that kind of, it makes sense for me to be able to have access to it, but only if I can get 3G uh, data network. The iPhone doesn't support my carrier either um, currently. And I'm quite sure that there will be a much broader range of offerings along the line and then what it really is is sort of a harbinger of an entire uh uh cadre of devices that yeah. will appear that will support various standards in various countries and this thing was conceptually going to become i think ubiquitous for a while you know there's not an awful lot of memory on there if you want to put kind of videos or or music or whatever i mean I don't know, mark are you a, are you a kind of does this kind of gadget gadget appeal to you it, it actually does um I used to walk around with a dictaphone in my pocket, a Palm Pilot, and a mobile phone, and a camera in case I wanted to take pictures of anything. I now walk around with a Nokia N73, uh, which has a 3.2 megapixel um, camera in it with a Carl's Ice lens and takes really good pictures. Yeah. Uh, it will also shoot a quarter frame MPEG video, which is great if, yeah. you, uh, if you want to video your kids doing something interesting and save it for a later date or whatever. Um, even if you play it back on, tele- on a television, it looks pretty good. Um, I've got it synced with my Apple address book, so I've got all my contacts in there and my calendar. And I use the voice recorder on, on the telephone, actually. And then I, um, I quite often walk around singing things into the phone. And then I um, beam the files into my computer using Bluetooth and then paste them into Logic. And they now post, paste straight into Logic without having to really convert anything. You can just drag them onto the timeline and then loop up whatever idea I had and sort of start working That's on pretty cool, songs actually. and stuff. That is so, pretty cool. I mean, I use it for a lot of things now, really, and it's just this one device that sits in my pocket, and it's there instantly. If I, if I want to take a picture or shoot a video or record something or 
phone someone up good heavens yeah good lord or maybe even take a call well that's interesting what you say about the voice recorder because i um i was when we did our last nam trip i took a an m audio uh Microtrack and was using that, but I felt really conspicuous. And when I could use the phone, I can walk around having a commentary on what's going on, and I, I'm very inconspicuous because I look like I'm just on the phone, but I could be talking about what's happening to me. And the only problem I have, I've got a Sony Ericsson K800i, I think it is. And the only problem with that is the, the record quality is a bit low to be able to to use in podcasts. I mean, I think I just about got it. You have to EQ it quite heavily, but it's very interesting the way that you can be quite discreet. Uh, if you wanted to use it for that sort of thing. And, and also, if you're, I mean, I guess if you're singing into a phone, you might seem a bit weird, but not as weird as if you're walking around with a handheld recording device singing into it or a microphone. You know, it's it, it's quite useful for I'm that re- sort of thing. I'm really pleased with my binaural headset, actually, because it looks like um, a set of earphones. I felt kind of conspicuous with this Zoom H4 pointing at things and recording things and so on. And and people get upset if you're recording things as well. Sometimes. They want to know so what you're up to, yeah. discovered. That if I put the um, binaural headset on and then tuck the zoom into my pocket, I can walk around and record all sorts of stuff without people knowing that I'm actually doing it. Because I don't look like a man with a microphone anymore. I look like a man who's maybe listening to his Walkman or whatever. Sure. And um, But then I kind of, I, I might look a little mad if I'm walking around doing the commenting on things if i do do any running commentary i suppose but so you need the headphones on and the phone to your ear as well so you can look really discreet if you had your phone on the right ear you'd obscure the um signal path to the Ah. right microphone wouldn't you yes that's true but anyway i mean it was just a little snippet of news but it seems to have elicited some other interesting aspects to kind of these converging devices but uh, i i must admit i would like to get my hands on an iphone and i think uh, you know, if the if the if the photo if the camera's any good, because I I I I don't carry a phone a camera anymore. I just use my my phone, and it's again it's a three point two megapixel camera, and it's great. I use it for everything, and it's just totally brilliant um, most of the time. You know, it's not good for everything. Video's not so good on it. The new MM6 music production synthesizer from Codename Vimo. The sixty one note portable synthesizer with incredible sonic power based on motive tone generation, real time audio control. USB connectivity and computer integration. Bundled with Cubase LE audio and MIDI sequencing software. Create. Produce. Perform. With affordable and versatile M6 music production synthesizer from www.mm6music.co.uk. And don't you hold it back no more, no more, no more, no more. Take a road back. Well, a road bag. Uh, what's that? I might hear you wonder and ponder. Well, actually, it's um. How can I put this? It's it's like a a, a device for uh, well, urinating in for chaps. Um. So the idea being, you know, if you're in a band or you're on a long journey, you, you don't have to pull over. You can just uh, slip one of these things in in the place where it needs to go and fill it up. And it's filled with some kind of special polymer. I don't quite know what that is. Um. That just absorbs it, and it'll take up to seven hundred milliliters of uh, whatever you put into it. Because obviously, I don't know uh, whether whether any of us have been on tour recently. I know, Rich, you probably just do the one-off gigs, maybe not, not so much on the bus. But I remember uh, whenever I was on the bus, there was always a problem with the lavatory. And, you know, you were it was frowned upon to actually use it because um, the poor coach driver or his assistant would have to deal with the results. So I just wondered whether you think this might be a good thing. I can't say as I'd... Uh imagine anybody i know using it it's rather humorous um 
The other thing to mention, and I'll say this as politely as possible, is that in our band there are no less than three women yeah. in the ten-member band. So the likelihood of us going all that far in any one go. We also don't tend to travel enormous distances by bus. Uh, typically, we fly from place to place, and usually it's just bus rides from some far-flung hotel to the venue and back. Sure, so perhaps not appropriate for you these days. I mean, I used to tour with a 10-piece band, and we all the, the guy who was the main singer had a great big bus, and it was an old bus, and, you know, we regularly travel a couple of hundred miles or whatever. And it was, you know, if you, after the gig, after, you know, several of us have had perhaps a couple of drinks and you can't keep stopping because everybody's just going, oh, I need to go as well. And me and me and me. And you just never get anywhere. Um, so uh, this would have been quite useful at the time, although I'm not so sure how hygienic it might have been. I did some research on this subject because I wondered what the average adult managed to... Um, expunge in a in the average go and apparently um the average adult produces about 1200 milliliters of urine daily that's about 1.2 liters the bladder can generally contain approximately seven to eight hundred milliliters but after a gig and a few drinks this thing only holds 700 so it's i'd say it's seems to have uh, be on the sort of conservative side so i'd just be worried what happens if you're in the middle of it and you realize there isn't enough room for what you intend to fill it with, and then you're going to be in a terrible <laughs> mess, aren't you? And it's not going to make uh, at all hygienic. It's going to, well, I don't know. They don't go into details. The site is actually in German, so it's very hard to see. There should be a frequently asked question, and I think that would be one of them. What happens if I'm filling it up and I can't stop? Would be my question. Well, that would be perfect for the late night marketing bunch who like to offer you a second one for no extra charge at the end. Yeah, but then you've got the tricky problem of the crossover. You know, you've got to do the switch somehow. <laughs> oh, maybe, my goodness. Maybe it's for truck drivers on a deadline or something. You know, maybe it's best kept uh, for people who are alone and not. I think to it's be- back, to adult, back to adult diapers. Uh, yeah. I used, to, um, I used to live on a boat and I had a dedicated flower pot for this kind of thing. Oh, really? And because you don't, wanna, you, don't, you don't want to waste the um, chemical, because the toilet had this uh, blue chemical in it. And, yeah. you know, if you fill the toilet up with um, urine, then, you know, you're forever going to empty the toilet. So I had you know, a very nice flower pot, which I used to fill up and then throw over the side. Ah, but I think me. you're right. I think, there's a, a, I think you can get at least 700 milliliters in one go if you've been hanging on, on if you're on, on the way back from the pub or something. So Absolutely. I don't think it has enough capacity. I really I, don't. I think there's a problem here, and I think they haven't done enough market research. Or maybe the people that they researched it were sort of of a small stature. I yeah, <laughs> I should have a... I have a good friend of mine who just had bladder reconstruction surgery, and prior to that, he would have to carry around a two-liter bottle in his van so that he could pull over at a moment's notice and relieve himself uh, because his bladder wasn't able to hold. And I think he could have taught the German company that made this a thing or two about about amounts. Perhaps he could have been a beta tester. (laughs) A beta tester for the road bag, yeah. (laughs) What do you do with this gel afterwards as well? How do you dispose of this? Like I say, details are slightly light, um, but it was on the Future Music blog, and there's a little bit of uh, information there. Anyway, they're six bucks, and if you really need to go and you need one of those, I suppose you're going to do it, aren't you, really? But um, it, it strikes me as being perhaps a bit sort of uh, sort of fetid and unpleasant, even though I'm sure it's, it's beautifully scented and what have you. <laughs> 
Right, perhaps mm-hmm. we should move on from bags of wee onto perhaps um, something of, of greater significance. Uh, and one of the things was, is uh, I don't believe we've done this, and it may or may not be appropriate, but uh, as a matter of curiosity, what's everybody using to um, technically to kind of make this podcast happen? In fact, I got a, uh, an email from somebody who said, what do you use? My record path is I've got a Behringer C1 microphone going into a Mackie, 1202 VLZ3 that then feeds the Zoom H4. And we obviously use Skype, and I use something called Audio Hijack Pro, which is um, records the backup. And then I edit in Sony Vegas on on uh, Windows XP using Parallels Desktop. So that's my uh, my big um, secret. So I just wondered what um, everybody else was using. I know, PJ, because you're a PC kind of guy, what are you using yep. to um, these days? Well, um, I am using a Rode NT2A microphone with a Stedman pop shield, and I record into a uh, 2.7 gigahertz Athlon 64 PC equipped with an EMU 1820M sound card. And then that goes down Skype, and you pick it up from there. Ah, the EMUs, they're, they're, they're getting quite long in the tooth, but they've got very highly regarded A to Ds and D to As. Is that right? Is that the, that one? Uh, yeah, they're the same circuitry that's in the um, Digidesign, the, the 192 model. The, the HDs? Yeah, the HDs, yep. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah, they sound fantastic. I, I, I love them. I swear by them. And uh, Rich? At the moment, it's the internal microphone of the MacBook uh, sitting before me on the desk. And uh, to keep feedback to a minimum, I'm using a Motorola headset to listen to you guys. Ah, okay. Is that the Bluetooth, Bluetooth thing? Oh, that's cool. I forgot to mention my headphones. I've actually got a pair of Sony MDR V6s, which are, are my favourite headphones, and I've, I've got a few pairs of those, and I always buy them when I go to the States because they're so much cheaper in, uh, in Fry's, uh, just outside Anaheim, where we go for, for Winter Nam. Mark, what are you using these days? Um, I'm back um, to using the Line 6 Toneport UX2. Uh-huh. So I have a PV Studio Pro M2 microphone. Oh, that's the one you were talking about last week? Yeah, I really love this microphone. It's great. I've got that plugged straight into um, microphone one input. Yeah. I'm using the Gearbox software on the UX2, um, which uh, acts as an audio driver, which Skype picks up directly, and that goes straight to you. And then to monitor, I've got a set of Bayer Dynamic CT770 headphones with grey fluffy stuff around my ears. It's all very comfortable. Oh, that sounds marvellous. Can I do this? Oh my lord, yes, that, that's also true, Mark. You're the only person with the capabilities to add real-time effects to the, their voice, and that was, in fact, um, some, very, I guess. Very Doctor Who, wasn't it? Yeah, no, cool. <laughs> Well, actually, uh, Line 6 have just brought out... What's that thing they brought out? They brought the, a Pocket Pod, which I think we got in for review. I haven't seen it in the flesh, but it's a tiny little um, standalone interface. It's got like 3,000 presets in of kind of uh, Line 6 guitar processing effects. So we're going to have a review of that, but just that's while we're on the Line 6 subject. Yeah, it's another little kidney-shaped thing. Maybe a pig's kidney or a sheep's kidney, about size. <laughs> I think they should build one into Tasty. their Line 6 guitar. That would be cool. If they built something that was... Um, it, it had... In fact, the Line 6 guitar, right, with one of these pod things built into it, Yeah. Uh, with a piece of software that sits on your Apple or PC laptop Yeah. with Bluetooth, and the guitar has Bluetooth in, and instead of having USB connectivity, 
you can just edit it directly from the computer with Bluetooth. So it talks to it via Bluetooth. The, and then uh, you just plug the guitar straight into a power amp or speaker or whatever. Cool. Um, now, you're, now you're really so asking you, for it. Line six, if you're listening, Mark is happy to beta test and product to develop for you. So um, yeah. pay him attention. The Buddha FM3 is its like one of those tiny little um, micro amps, but it hasn't got an input and it's got a, uh, eight MP3 drones in it. Uh, and it's the idea is, is it's supposed to be a sort of inspirational tool. Let me just play a bit to you and you can comment. It's pretty lo-fi, but it's posted by a chap called Dosal, I think that's how you pronounce it, on YouTube. So, And it's just picked up on his video camera uh, mic. But the idea is uh, you can buy this from a place called turntablelab.com, and it's, um, it's like a Chinese electronic music gadget um, that allows you to just put it down and press, and it'll play various drones in the background. And apparently it's sort of taking electronic musicians by storm, so I'm told. In fact, they said that uh, Eno's bought eight of them. If you can believe that, <laughs> I can believe that, that is yeah. that is in the sales blurb, mind you. It's kind of almost like a little inspirational tool. I don't know if anyone kind of fancied having a go with one of those because it just looked like it might be a bit of a bit of fun. Apparently, it comes in very nice kind of kitsch Chinese packaging as well. Not a product for me. It seemed to me like it was, um, at least from what I read on the web, that it might be aimed at the the fans of the Chinese minimalist group that that created this device. Yes, that I it, think that's where it started from. So it's kind of more it's more about the packaging than it is about the the actual tones themselves because those uh those drones are apparently available on their website for free so you could just download those MP3s and listen to them via media player or QuickTime or something like that and right. have roughly the same experience except not the kishy little amp. Yes, I suppose that's true. I mean, I, I think I yeah. mean, it seems prime for circuit bending in some respect although I'm not sure what it could actually do. Have one sent over, Nick, and I'll bend it. Okay, I'll, I'll get one to you, Mark. I'll try and keep this promise as well. Well, yeah, what happened to the record player? Yeah, I don't know. I kind of Paper went... Cup record player. I went on holiday. <laughs> I promise <laughs> I'll do it. I, I think we're about a year into doing this podcast, and my, my true identity as being totally flaky is, uh, is gradually coming, coming to the fore. I've been discovered, but I will uh, endeavour to do that. I remind... Um, remind myself, and I'll write. I'm not write far behind you though, because that microphone that you sent me for recording the um, the circuit bending podcast, I've broken uh, and glued inside my crash helmet. So I can only do that podcast wearing a crash helmet now. <laughs> I'd love Maybe to you should put a, a little prope- you put, put a propeller on the top <laughs> should, as well. That should be a video cast for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, never mind. What the heck? It doesn't really matter. But anyway, this uh, this little um, FM3 Buddha box you can buy for 25 bucks uh, in the US. I don't know. I haven't seen any UK suppliers of it, but at uh, www.turntablelab.com. And um, I'll put the, the link directly to the product in there, and um, maybe people can have a bit of fun with that. There's a, there's a kind of quite an interesting video of Stevie Wonder, who's, I don't know, it looks like it's from the 60, early 60s sometimes, a black and white kind of, he's doing a show and it's televised, and... Uh, during the show, he gets sort of led towards the drum kit and then proceeds to play, well, it's about a five-minute drum solo. And uh, it, it's really, he's very well accomplished. Because we all knew that Stevie is reported to have played the drums. A lot of people still don't know that, but let's just prove it. Um. 
He's obviously left. There's quite a large band there just sort of sitting around twiddling their thumbs while he's just wigging out. And, and he does wig out for an incredibly long time. And it just seemed like, you know, if it was anybody else apart from Stevie, everybody would go, hey, what an in- self-indulgent piece of twaddle. But, I mean, he can obviously play. And um, the, the, one of the comments of the chap uh, who was posted by a chap called Soulmaster, and one of the things he said is, everybody thinks he's blind except Stevie. I, I had seen this yeah. uh, some time ago, and I think it's. I thought it was outstanding then. I think it's outstanding now. I don't find it self-indulgent at all. I just uh, thought at the time it was an incredible showpiece for his virtuosity because he had just sang uh, fantastically and is led over to the drum kit and then sits down and blows you away on the drums and then he gets back up and sings some more. I think, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, it's. I I just think it's a tremendous testament to what a fantastic artist he is. And he's quite often uh, forgotten these days because perhaps some of his best work is behind him. I think that's a fair point. I mean, his his recent works have been sort of slightly less raw and a bit more kind of middle of the road, I suppose. I mean, you know, he's getting on a bit, so why wouldn't he um, kind of take it easy and sort of put on the well, slippers? And when, and when, across your lifetime, you have come up with music of my mind, talking book, inner visions... Uh, fulfilling his first finale and songs in the key of life pretty much all in a row. When you've had that kind of output, that kind of impact, you just can't sustain that through an artistic lifetime. I don't think anybody ever has in, in, uh, in any field of art. No, I think that's very true. Remarkable body of work. And uh, I'm just here to give all kinds of respect to Stevie wonder. Uh, I'm with you entirely. Um, Stevie reportedly played uh, much of the drums on on several of those albums, actually, and I, he's one one of my all time favorite harmonica players. I mean, just amazingly lyrical on yeah, the harmonica and depth on the harmonica, and you can hear his harmonica playing on so many albums apart from his own. Um, I, I like watching uh, musicians who some are not aware are multi-instrumentalists get up and play, but I, I do have one small anecdote where it, it did bother me a little bit. I uh, was uh, taken to a Harry Connick Jr. concert once when he was playing. Um, he was on tour with a, with a New Orleans funk band that he had put together, and uh, half the concert was taken up by Harry jumping from instrument to instrument. And he was pretty deft on on a few of them, but others he was he was a little bit of a one a one trick pony in it. And I thought, you know, please just sit down behind the piano and do what you you know do what you do. Yeah, I guess it's a fine line between kind of just going, I I need to play this because it has to be like this, and just kind of showing off a little. Uh, I mean, I always remember seeing James Brown. I mean, he was much more sort of theatrical, I guess, but going and play the organ and what have you, and which, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that great, to be perfectly honest. But uh. yeah, I want to speak to something that PJ said that rang for me. Um, Stevie's harmonica playing is truly extraordinary, as PJ pointed out, and um, for me, it is almost indistinguishable from his vocal style. When you listen oh, yeah. to the melodic turns. It's remarkable because it's just like he's still singing, except now he's playing it on harmonica. And uh, there are very few artists I've heard who play instrumentally well enough and sing well enough to be able to give you that impression. In fact, possibly the only other one I can think of is Louis Armstrong, who when he would stop singing and start playing, it was just an extension of the same melodic concept. It wasn't. It was almost like nothing had changed except the sound of the instrument. Mark, you got any strong feelings on this? 
Well, I feel like I ought to be like bad mouthing him because everybody said such nice things about him, but I can't because he's utterly brilliant. And um, I suppose at the time in the 60s or whenever this is shot, that drum solos were sort of in their infancy, weren't they? I always remember listening to, um, I think it was a Thin Lizzy album, which had like about a 20 minute drum solo in. And we used to just play the drum solo over and over and over and over again in the uh, music room at school when I was about 16. So I think, I don't know, I, I think it's cool. I, I, I mean, it's kind of bizarre the way they kind of lead him onto stage and, and he, you know, once he orients himself and finds out where he is, he then kind of goes for it. And I suppose, I mean, I, I did feel sorry for the drummer who's just sort of hanging around behind him. You know, obviously, you know, he doesn't want to go too far. I don't know whether he's there just to make sure that, you know, if he drops anything or whatever, but he's just sort of standing there trying not to look, kind of too conspicuous but in fact he's you know he's he's now got to get back onto the drums and start playing again and he, you know when in fact his he's been totally shown up by you know the showmanship and the talent of him and the other thing i really liked was it was a, the way that the drum kit was mic'd there was just that one microphone sitting over the top of it and that always works for me as well i liked sticking a u87 on an entire kit nothing else just a u87 in front in front of the kit yeah, great sound doing you that. can just get such a great sound that leads to the next conversation about Desert Island microphones. I have got one on how to ruin a mix, which I think was, maybe we should move on to. Um, this was uh, on about.com, which I think is kind of... Uh, about.com is a sort of resource about how to do everything, and it's a, it's an article by uh, a chap called Joe Shambro. He basically... Um, he just put four points on how to ruin a mix, and I'll, I'll go quickly with them. And one of them is quit messing with plugins, which I think we can probably all identify with. The other one is watch your sample rate. Do save your work and don't use low-quality monitoring. All sort of reasonable things to say, but uh, I'm sure there's an awful lot more that you can do not to ha- about how to ruin a mix. So it's a little bit misleading, but it made me think, you know, what do you do when you're working on a mix and you've just hit a brick wall? I mean, have you got any tried and tested kind of techniques and things that you j- you know will work? Do you know when you've got a deadline and you've just got to finish it and you can't come up with, like, the drum sound or whatever, there's a missing link? I mean, what, do you have any kind of tricks that you, you know you can fall back on but you don't feel proud of yourself? I, do I have tricks? I, I don't. It, it's, it's just applying a musical aesthetic to a process that is essentially technical. And as long as I keep doing that, it usually comes out okay. I know that may be horribly simple and naive, but no, that's I think just that's a fair thing. my whole approach to it. It's bringing a musical aesthetic to an essentially technical pursuit. Do you find yourself um, doing a lot of mixes, or do the mixes kind of go out of house? I mean, where do you find do you find that you have to do a bunch of mixes for fi- final mixes, or what? How does it work? These days, I mix everything that leaves our place is mixed by me. Generally, there are rare occasions where I compile soundtracks for video game uh for video games uh nile is involved with microsoft in the uh, xbox video game soundtrack development and production and there are cases where i do get you know a whole bevy of finished mixes that i have to assemble into a record and get mastered to sound like it belongs together but generally speaking any music projects we're doing that get mixed get mixed by me these days are you kind of working on them creatively and then you because i mean i know when i'm working on say remix it tends to be, you know, you just you're you're creating the music as you go along and, and tweaking and messing about with the sound, and then finally you get to a point where you go, oh, I guess we're ready to mix. And in fact, all you're really doing is checking stuff. Or do you actually have a kind of cut-off point and go, right now I'm in mix mode, and you change the approach and the way that you listen to stuff? Or does it sort of organically end up there? How does it work? 
Well, we, uh, in our process, tend to go in and out of mixed mode as things progress and things become evaluated. Um, And there are some cases where these are projects that have begun in our room, have progressed through their entire life process in our room and are being mixed in our room. And then there are other cases where I'll get uh, other people's work that is either finished or frustratedly not finished and uh, asked to complete it. Sure. In which case, um, I'm always mixing and evaluating and then going back and replacing things and bringing it, trying to bring it forward into a realm where the, the record works better for me. Yeah, I and see what That could include mixing things, it could include playing keyboards or guitars, it could include working on the existing vocals or re-recording vocals, it, it could be adding percussion, you know, right there in the room, it could be any number of different things. It's, it's totally situational. How about you, PJ? Well, fortunately these days I, I'm working pretty much as a one-man shop and I'll bring in instrumentalists or work with folks over the web as need be. So I tend to I'll tend to sort of in the in the thought of getting things down on tape the way you want to hear them, I'll craft a sound inside the computer with one of my sample libraries or with a synthesizer the way I want to hear it and then commit that to tape and then tweak afterwards as need be. And as Rich said, you know, I'll switch in and out of mixed mode as I go along. And then at the end, as I'm touching things up, I might decide a part doesn't belong or I need to add something that feels like it's missing. But back in the day when I was, uh, you know, a full-blown commercial studio owner here in Minneapolis or partnered into several of them over over the years, mm-hmm. I would record a lot of music that, you know, came from local bands and local singer-songwriters, or I, or I would mix, rather, music that had been recorded in other studios or other venues or even you know, practice rooms, for that matter. Sure. And I found in those cases there would be a lot of, um, you know, a lot of unsalvageable audio. And so it was mostly a political maneuver. You know, you would, you would have to just sit and sort of finesse the band and figure out what it was that they really liked about the recording they brought you if there was, and there usually was, you know, aspects of it that they, that they were absolutely in love with. And you would try to accentuate those aspects. Um, clean up as much as you could enhance as much as you could and and uh send it out the door and not use it on your showreel <laughs> yeah mark i i recently got a song from you and um you were uh quoting that you're cr- you were trying to get the songwriting process at least down to what was it 35 minutes or was it 15 minutes 15, I think 15. <laughs> 15 minutes yeah how's that kind of approach been working for you i quite like it instead of m- uh, messing around with like really really fine details of things you tend to look at an overview of everything that's going on and try and get everything that's going on uh, to sound good overall so i i think that's a different way of working i think i used to spend far too much time fiddling around with i don't know maybe uh, one syllable on a vocal was wrong so i'd fiddle around with it and and perfect that without looking at the overview so much. Do you think that's a kind of reaction to perhaps, I mean, as programmers, you know, when we're hired to do stuff, I mean, that tends to be often what you're spending your time doing is kind of straightening things out and kind of ironing out sometimes all of the, all the interesting bits because, you know, the person doesn't, that you're working for doesn't necessarily want all that. So is this like a kind of an antidote to that thing? It definitely is, yeah. I mean, when I went through a period of absolutely hating drums and refor- refused to write any music which had drums in it because um, a lot of what I was doing was programming loops up, or inter- not necessarily drum loops, but certainly interesting sequence loops up which Duran Duran would use to write 
songs on top of. In other words, they'd use that as a bed for inspiration. And yeah. I just got so sick of doing it. I just refused to put any drums in anything after that and um, went off on a sort of a big ambient, swirly, weird kind of um, vibe for a few years in my music writing. I think um, that this sort of takes us back to her to uh, Joe's uh, four points, which are quit messing with plugins. And I think that's that's a, that could be taken as a sort of stop fiddling about with minor details. I mean, I think that could be one thing that you would um, you would definitely concur with, or perhaps all of us would. Oh yeah, I, I like the fact that Logic Audio has got all of these kind of preset things in there now because oh, it's so much quicker to take something that somebody's already written. So you can go and go, okay, uh, male ballad vocal. Let's stick that on. Okay, bit too much reverb. Roll the reverb off. Vocal sound. That's quite good. Okay, move on. Bass. And you kind of go through, you know, when you're songwriting, you want to have a completely... I don't want to get bogged down in all this fiddly, fiddly stuff. I yeah. want to, like, get my musical ideas happening before uh, before I lose sight of uh, of the picture that I had in my head when I thought of the song. You know, you know, regarding, Mark, regarding your comment about spending 15 minutes, I just wanted to tell a brief anecdote. I used to work with an engineer named... Glenn Kalotkin, who had done a tremendous amount of great work at Columbia on the West Coast in the late 60s, recording Santana and Sly and the Family Stone, and he did some work in New York with Jimi Hendrix. And, he, and when I was working with him, he, had, he was hot on the heels of his success with Joan Jett. And he used to tell me that if he had to spend more than 15 minutes mixing something, he knew something was wrong. This is analog tape and console, no automation. That's old school. I had an eight-track mix, uh, uh, original multi-track, rather, of uh, Sly and the Family Stone. And it was the same kind of thing, Nick. You push the faders up, and, well, there's the record. Yeah. Except they left, you know, they muted one or two things that you get to hear. But other than that, it's it's uh, the record right there. A lot, So many things are pre-mixed and pre, you know, sort of bounced that it's very much the, the mixing believe process it, was almost done by then. Believe it or not, all of Duran Duran's early masters are like that. The 16 and 24 track masters from the first Duran Duran album. You push up all the faders and there's the record. Everything, all the keyboards are bounced with their effects. All the uh, vocals are bounced with their double track and with their chorus effect and everything. And it's all there. Well, who did those? I mean, I'm, I was very forward thinking of them. Colin Thurston and probably... Under the um, strict instruction of Nick, I should imagine. Right. My son still wants to have a go. He's not here next week. He's only here this week. So. Hello. Hello, Brandon. How are you doing? Fine. Hi, Brandon. Hello. Hello, Brandon. Hello. I understand you're on a mission to um, to to get on the podcast, just after your sister was. So uh, uh, your dad tells us that you're doing a lot of music these days. Uh, yeah. What stuff do you play? I'm using Acid Pro to make some background music oh okay i know you what you're doing sort of drums and and synths and stuff or are you just kind of cutting stuff up and seeing what comes out uh seeing what comes out are you playing things into acid as well i just loop things and then i made a song and then i sang into the background that i made for my song cool have you played it to anyone uh no not yet you're still working on your first album i played the guitar and i made this weird squeaky noise and did you use it uh, yeah, I put it in the middle kind of part of it. So are you doing this, uh, do you do this when you're, um, when you're at home or is it something you can only do when, uh, when you're with your dad? I can only really do it when I'm at my dad's, but I can use acid and make some music at 
ours and then dad can come up and then he can burn it onto a desk way to go dad nice collaboration there <laughs> just to talk to you brandon thank you bye bye yeah like father yeah. like son eh mark you must be very Absolutely. proud He's, he's with one of the great squeaky noisemakers of all time. I'm trying to think of some other father and son um, kind of mega groups. Anyone got any... Uh, anyone know? I know. Uh, Loudon Wainwright and Rufus Wainwright. There's one. Ah, there you go. What about uh, Nat King Cole and Natalie Cole? Didn't they do a duet? Well, but... Posthumously- From Beyond the Grave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> well... I think that feels like a kind of good point to, to butt in and, um, and and say thank you very much to everybody for joining us. Um, so I'd like to thank, first of all, Rich Hilton from uh, sunny Connecticut. A great pleasure to be with you, gentlemen, always. Well, and thank you for coming back. And uh, also uh, PJ Tracy in Minneapolis. Thank you for joining us this week. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. And, of course, um, Mark Tinley. Thank you very much. Everybody, yeah. Everybody, yeah. Okay, well, that's it for another week. I'm just going to play you out over Brandon. That's Mark's son's uh, music that he was talking about. I hope you enjoy it. And, of course, uh, those waiting for the results of the Yamaha MM6 competition. Remember, Yamaha UK very kindly donated an MM6 as a prize to celebrate the 50th podcast. Uh, the winner has been notified. We're just waiting for him to get back to us before we can announce him. So hopefully next week we'll have a final winner for you. And remember, folks, if you want to get in touch, leave a message, talk to us, drop an email, send us an MP3 or anything. Several ways to get in touch with us. First way is uh, by regular Skype uh, using the handle Sonic Talk. There's an answer phone on there. You can leave us a message. Or you can call us on Skype out uh, that's on a regular phone line you can call us uh, in the US 312-376-8089 if you're outside you've got to dial your international code first also we've got a UK London number which is 0207-870-8616 and of course if you just want to send us an mp3 email it to sonictalk at sonicstate.com that's all for now thanks for listening Sonic State. Let's go.